Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. Yes. Hello. Hi. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Good. We are here to talk about fundraising today. Fundraising? Yeah, we're going to be talking with Lori Herrick from Rainmaker Consulting, right? Mm. They uh, focus on, I have to look at my notes for this because it's a <laughs> lot of stuff. Yeah. They focus on fundraising strategy, leadership development, strategic planning. And Lori is also here to talk to us about a book she wrote. Mm-hmm. So she's an author. Mm-hmm. And that book is called Choose Abundance. And it's a book about how to build a culture of philanthropy, right? Which um, all organizations need, especially nonprofits. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in philanthropy. Yeah. So um, we're going to learn all about it. Yeah, we are. Are you ready to learn about it? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. All right. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. I, Stomping Jen, again, am not going to sing. Oh, thank goodness. It's my new thing. It's your new thing to yeah. not sing? I love it. Yeah, you told me before that I should not sing as much so people don't expect it. It's true. So I'm not going to sing. We're just going to jump in and say hi to Lori Herrick. Hi, Lori. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for being here with us. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I um, wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us maybe just a little bit more about yourself. My introduction um, probably didn't quite do the job. So (laughs) um, just give us, you know, give us your elevator pitch about who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, first off... I have been so lucky because over the course of my career and even before my career started as a volunteer, I've had the chance to work with so many different amazing organizations that are doing totally extraordinary work in the world. It's just amazing, you know, whether it's uh, helping a particular need that makes our society better or something that brings more beauty and life and elegance into our world that makes it a pleasure to be alive, right? And these organizations are, I'm just so proud to have had the chance to be able to work with them. And so many of them struggle to have the resources they need to be able to fulfill their mission. And I saw that really early on in my career. So uh, way back when I had that, I I volunteered for an organization, the name of it is Results, and it works to create the political will to end hunger. 
And that organization, uh, they, um, I, I wanted to work for them. I had a business, but really what I wanted to do was to work for them. And I basically begged myself into the development job because I had been in sales. And after many attempts at it, I finally got hired as their development person. And at first it went really well. And then it stopped going so well. <laughs> and when it started, when I started struggling, uh, my boss came to me and said, Lori, uh, we need to raise $40,000 by the end of the year. Or frankly, we're, you're going to have to have to help me decide who we should fire. And I was totally freaked out because I was a new development person and didn't really know what I was doing. But what I did was I said, OK, I have one idea. I, I'll go to this go to donor. And I asked this one guy for $10,000 and probably because I was so inexperienced, I went to this guy who had just recently given <laughs> and he said, we love you, but we just gave and we can't give again right now. And so I got off the phone and did what uh, no development professional is supposed to do. I burst into tears and thought, maybe they should fire me. I can't, I don't know. I don't even know who else to go to. And my boss suggested that I get some coaching and that I get that coaching from this woman by the name of Lynn Twist. She wrote a wonderful book called The Soul of Money. And I, I, I called her up and I said, could you give me some coaching? Could you give us some coaching? And in fact, she came to the organization and she conducted a training. And the what led to the whole rest of my life, which I hope it's OK, I'm telling you this whole background, but it really is what led me to this moment. Um, what happened was she, uh, in that meeting, in that training, I kind of raised my hand and I said, I just heard of an organization that got a million dollar donor. We should have a million dollar donor. And she said, are you taking a stand for a million dollar gift to results, Lori? And of course I just backpedaled. I couldn't come up with $40,000. You know, how am I going to get a million dollars? And what happened was that um, she said, here's what you do. You take, you make a declaration. You essentially throw your hat over the fence. Do you know what that means? And I said, no. She said, if you throw your hat over the fence, you got to go over the fence and get it. And you find somebody who is a committed listener who believes in it with you. And so that's what I did. I found this volunteer, this guy, Peter, who I used to run with when we'd see each other periodically, a couple times a year at conferences. And Peter and I would run together and dream. And we'd say like, maybe, you know, just what could we do in this organization if there was a million dollars and who do we know? And maybe some rich person will come and save us. And I have to admit, that's not how I think now, but at that <laughs> time, that's what I was hoping was we were going to be saved. And after maybe three times running together like this and, you know, many dead ends on our grand ideas, he came to me and he was sort of bursting. And I thought, oh, maybe he found that person. And what he said was, Lori, I'm your million dollar donor. What? So, yeah. Did he have exactly. a million dollars? He had, he made a pledge for $100,000 a year for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yep. And so when I started to grasp what happened, what I saw was that it was a mindset thing, that 
if I hadn't thrown my hat over the fence, so to speak, right, and if Lynn Twist hadn't talked to me about scarcity thinking and how that gets in our way, and if Peter hadn't started to see himself differently and see that he was a change agent, that he could do something with his resources, um, and I learned that I had the ability to enroll somebody in that idea of being something bigger than we were. So it was pretty close to not exactly that moment, but in that next year or so, when I started to see how important mindset was to the work that we do in not in the not-for-profit world, I uh, took on that that was my commitment. And I decided I wanted nothing more than to have more and more people learn about the importance of mindset. I then began to learn that Mindset is a critical part of culture change. So, you know, we often in fundraising, at least, and probably most organizations that we want to change, we think about structures and we think about behaviors, but we don't think of the mindset. And so the mindset is sort of at the heart of this work. And it eventually brought me to writing this book. Yeah. And it's and it sounds like in the case of this Peter, it was more than just asking somebody for a million dollars you had to like invest time and cultivate a relationship and maybe even like uh, some kind of trust there before somebody was willing to make kind of that step and uh commit so much absolutely yeah and as a matter of fact i when i tell that story i often say and by the way that doesn't mean you don't have to ask because in that (laughs) one case he gave you know he said that he was committed to giving without me asking him i had no idea he had that capacity Mm -hmm. yeah so that was key yeah that that's amazing thank you for sharing that story and kind of like stepping back a little bit um Mm -hmm. from that what got you interested in the world of of fundraising itself like what what got you thinking this is a career i want to have this is an area i want to begin to dedicate a lot of my time to well it was interesting i was in sales and i don't tell everybody this story but i'm going to tell this to you guys (laughs) um no i was i had a um so i knew that i could sell but i was selling products i wasn't particularly committed to so I just so happen, and I don't even think that Stomping Jen knows this story, but I was selling dog shampoo and tanning lotion, (laughs) and I had a wholesale distribution company, and I was selling things that, you know, they are what they are, but they certainly weren't products that I was committed to. And so having a commitment to make a difference, I think, was something I got from my parents, but I didn't necessarily see a career route until here I was selling these products and volunteering for this organization. And there was this dichotomy or, I don't know, tension really between those two things, because I really wanted to sell something that was meaningful. And I knew that I wanted to sell them the end of hunger over dog shampoo, goop in a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) It's a much better product, I think. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um and how did that lead? How did how did your experience um uh lead you into starting Rainmaker, like your own company? How did how did that come about? Yeah, well, it came about because um I so I worked for results for a while 
I had an opportunity to work for a foundation and uh, quite transparently, my one year at the foundation, while an amazing learning experience, it was not something that was a match. It wasn't going to be what I was doing forever. But one of the things that I learned while I was there was that I had the opportunity to meet with organizational leaders. And part of my role as the executive director was to provide technical assistance and, and training. And I didn't feel like I was the expert. I had learned some really important things, but I didn't feel like I was the expert. So my approach was to, to ask people questions and say, what is, what's your challenge? What do you think is the idea that, you know, what do you think is missing? What possibilities are there in your world? And people very often just need to be heard and to think it through themselves. And actually that's a big part of our approach at Rainmaker is that we know that we're not the content or, or program experts. Sometimes one of us has some expertise in that, but mostly People know what there is to do. They need encouragement. They need support. And they need to reframe how they're looking at things in order to achieve what they want. So, so yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Start I was going to say, it sounds like you're a nonprofit therapist in a way. Well. In the, in the yeah. coaching way, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, in a coaching way, yeah. We don't usually go too deep into the personal what I would normally call therapy, but, but yeah, I think that sometimes we're a voice that needs representing, meaning they'll bring us in to say, we know this isn't working, but they'll hear it from you better than they would hear it from me. So let's talk about this. And yeah, sometimes that happens, not always, but sometimes that's the approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the name what does the name mean to you, Rainmaker? Why did you pick that name and what significance does that have for you? Well, I'll tell you the story of how it came about. Right when I started the organization, I I was wondering how was I going to get clients? What was I going to do? And I saw an ad. I want to say that it was in the, um, I can't think of the the weekly paper that the free paper that's available the Republican? in the Republican. No, 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 no. The free one that, um, Oh, the advocate, the advocate. the advocate, right. <laughs> there was an ad in the advocate and that ad, uh, said seeking a rainmaker. And it was, and then what they said afterwards resonated for me, which was, you know, someone who can help us find the resources that we need, someone who's committed to diversity, uh, someone that was, uh, you know, could help us to find what we need in order to make this vision come true. And uh, that organization, uh, Roberta Wilmore was the director of that program, the Children's Equitation Program up in Ashfield. Um, She was one of my first clients. And I said, I loved your ad and I'd love to steal that for a name. So to me, what it means is someone who brings abundance, really, who brings the necessary resource, if you will, to grow the vision of the organization. Yeah, I love that. Um, So 
Nonprofits, obviously, one of the challenges they, they face is funding. You mentioned that. Um, yeah. And you've kind of, I mean, you've talked to some of the other challenges that they face um, trying to set and meet a vision. I'm just curious, what other, what other challenges do you see as being unique to the nonprofit world that you've kind of focused on over the, over the years in helping people? Yeah, a really important study came out, I believe it was in 2014, from the Haas Fund out in California, and they partnered with Compass Point, and they came out with a study called Underdeveloped, and they pointed to a trend that was happening and continues to happen in the not-for-profit world, which was development directors or development staff directors in particular leave after approximately 18 months. There's not a great partnership typically between the executive director and the development director. Board is disengaged. Donor retention stinks. (laughs) And it's not functional. It's not working. And when they, when I read that paper and was, I was blown away by it because it really spoke to what we were seeing with our clients at Rainmaker. And what they said was the solution was a culture of philanthropy. And we had been talking about essentially that and not naming it that at that at that point but we kept talking about a culture of true abundance that's the language we were using and we saw that these were completely aligned and i had been teaching a course i had the privilege of teaching a course through the Harold Grinspoon Foundation for organizations that are his grantees uh, their grantees i should say the foundation's grantees and i saw these trends exactly and what I saw out of that, which was a real evolution in this work, was that it needed to not any longer be on one single person, the development person, because they weren't going to survive all by themselves. They needed partnership with executive leaders and with board members. And so I was able to, through the foundation, create a year-long course that puts teams of people together. So to be in the course, you must have at least one um, board member, one development professional, an executive leader, and teams up to seven, if they want, to be in a course to together build a culture of philanthropy. And I'm now in my fourth year of having full teams do that work and it's really exciting to see what a difference it make, makes when these groups learn about what the trend was, right? What the statistics show and have people partner together. So it's not all on one person, which will have them stay at their job, right? And the board members start to begin to see I can have a role that's not just about arm twisting, it's not just about manipulating my friends to give, there's actually something bigger and and more possible in a different framework. And, you know, we haven't talked much about language, but language is a key piece of this. How do we 
talk about money? How do we talk about fundraising? What's the language we use? Because our language is an indicator of where we're going to go, right? Where we're headed, right? And so if we're saying things like, I could never, or I don't know anybody with money, or all of the things that board of directors and staff people sometimes say, not everybody says these things, but when you look at the language within an organization, when you examine your that part of your culture, you can start to address it. But until you look at it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, you're not gonna see it. You're not gonna be able to address it. And that goes to, um, like you said, building a, a culture, right? And and yes. that and language is part of culture. Behaviors is part of culture. And and trying to maybe uh, look at what might be negative. Um, cultural yes. practices in an organization and like reframe them and move them to be more positive to meet goals, right? Yes. That sounds yes. good. Yeah. Is it typical for companies or nonprofits just to have like one development person and put all of the burden of of yeah. uh, I, a fundraising onto that person? Is that something that we see a lot in the nonprofit world? You know, it depends on the size of the of the, of the company and of the organization. So uh, we work with tiny shops that don't even have a paid person to do development. And then we have organizations that have seven to 10 people that are on their staff. We don't typically work with universities that might have 30 Mm -hmm. development people. Um, and or hospitals sometimes have much larger staffs, but we typically work with smaller organizations. And yes, um, but a lot of the small ones and a lot of the small organizations in our region have one, maybe two people that are part of their staff. And um, and if they're lucky, they've got four or five people uh, to really. But nonetheless, it still shouldn't even just be on that team because they're not necessarily um, expanding, you know, the community. They're not talking to people that are um, further outside of the circle. And that's a critical part of building a network, uh, you know, a community and engaging people on a deeper level in a wider way. You know, one of the things, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, one of the things that I mentioned before, donor retention, right? And one of the large problems that exists in a lot of not-for-profit organizations is that donors come along and then they don't stay, mm-hmm. right. right? They they come through, they make one gift, and then, then they're left off to run. And in the business world, in the for-profit business world, what happens is that you would never, ever, ever um, – find it acceptable to have one, to have donor, sorry, to have new customers come in and then just let them go. Right. It's most expensive to bring people in. Right. right? And, And so you want to keep those customers, but somehow that message is not ingrained in the not for profit sector. So understanding the value of taking care of who you've got instead of keep, focusing on getting new people in and then ignoring them and then you know breaking yeah. new people in and ignoring them yeah yeah it's real it's really interesting that you say that because um anecdotally i think that's true i know for myself the things i've given to um various nonprofits stomping gen i don't know i don't think i've ever 
received a follow-up you know be, beyond the initial auto reply thank you you know like i don't think I, i've ever been uh nobody's ever tried to engage me in an ongoing relationship well i mean there are certain ones that certain, organizations certain ones that have <laughs> but i'm not trying to i'm, I'm intentionally not calling yes I these understand. things out yes. but by name but i see what you're saying like and, and i think about the number of nonprofits i've given to which is which are Many, many. <laughs> I can, I like, I can probably on one hand identify yeah. the number that have at least tried to build a relationship with, with me. Hmm. Exactly. No, that that's exactly the issue, and and so, just taking what you described there, we have no idea what people have for resources, so. Let's just take the two of you. You may have money. You may have connections. You may have the ability to do a podcast for someone. You may be a microbrewer or you may, who knows, right? And all of those things could be really useful to an organization that you are committed to. Yeah. So, right. That's the right. So that's the thing is, is if you get to know people, you might find things that they have in abundance. That's the name of the book, um, which you have no idea about. But if we keep treating people like they're only their wallet mm. and we're trying to make a judgment of, hmm, does that person have money or does that person not have money based on some weird formulas or something, then we're really not touching the potential. And um, so building building a culture of philanthropy is one way to begin thinking about how to engage with um, potential donors differently. Um, I wanted to ask you um, what role strategic planning kind of plays in all of this as a as a as a function. I mean, as an organization. And this is something you help with um, as Rainmaker. Mm-hmm. How do yeah. these? How do all? How do these things connect? Like strategic planning, culture of philanthropy. Um, yeah. are, they, are they so interconnected that it's hard to pull them apart in some way? It's not hard to pull them apart. I but I want to step back to something that is an important piece of this is this word philanthropy. Yeah. So I mentioned that language is really important when people think of philanthropy. Well, when you hear the word philanthropy, what do you typically think of? Let me ask you guys that. Money. I'll give you, go ahead. Stop it. Just money. Well, what I think of is giving away money. Yeah. That's what I think of. So I have, I have money to give. And to me, philanthropy is who do I, who do I give it to? And how do I give it away? Right. So what most people come up with when we use the word philanthropy is that 1%, the super wealthy. Mm. Okay. So I would agree, agree that money is part of it. I would agree that giving it away, give, giving things away is part of it. But the if you take the Greek root of the word philanthropy, and you make it gender neutral, what you come up with is love of humankind. Hmm. Right. So huh. if you have a love of something, then you want to contribute what you have to it. Right? I mean, 
Yes. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And if you, and we all have different things in abundance. Like I said, you have the ability to do a podcast and stomping Jen, I'm sure has lots of skills that I think I know some of. (laughs) So many, so many skills. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And so, right. So we have skills, we have connections, we have ideas, we have knowledge and if we got to know people and got to know what they had in abundance, and if there was a need in our agency, our not-for-profit organization, for that skill, that knowledge, that thing of abundance, then we could make a connection, right? So to answer your question and to take this idea that it's not just about the it's not just about the money it's about whatever people have in abundance right? right and you start to look at a strategic plan then where a a strategic plan could be a small group of people just saying what's our strategy let's have a group of us think it out and make a plan right that's mm-hmm. one way to do it the other way to do it is to say let's build our culture of philanthropy at the very same time so let's get community engagement let's get a bunch of people involved in this huh there's this person who has given to us that I think could possibly give more money. There's this individual who is so enthusiastic and is well-connected in the community. Let's get them to be part of it. There's this other person who is, uh, you know, uh, really good at, you know, barbecuing and loves us. Let's have her come along. You know, so you end up bringing in whoever it is within your network already that has a passion for your cause, not just like, Oh, who's rich. Right. Right. But like, and then get them to be part of your overall process. And then you start to build from there and create a vision together. And suddenly you got things happening. That's That's a lot more exciting. Yeah. This reminds me of something stomping Jen here says all the time. So I, I, I often get a bee in my bonnet about stomping Jen, putting time into things that doesn't pay her. Right. Mm -hmm. And she'll be like, well, I'm going to build this relationship over here. I'm going to connect with this person. Somehow they're going to, they're, I'm going to get something back. Yeah. I call it the karmic principle of my life. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, this is sort of what I what I'm hearing. This idea of of um, of cultural philanthropy is um, sort of, and I was just thinking, Stomping Jen, I might be a philanthropist <laughs> with this podcast. We don't, we don't, you are. we don't charge money. That's we don't right. it's look for money. Yeah. Interesting. I'm gonna give myself one of these. Oh my gosh. And 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 you for helping me, Lori, see that I might be a philanthropist. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you are. I mean, to me, it, this is, this is really, you know, this is really cool. This is very generous and, you know, giving your time, stopping Jen to different organizations <laughs> is, is extraordinary. And really so many organizations couldn't make it if it wasn't for people that were volunteering mm-hmm. or, or either, you know, or doing things um, we refer to it as there's pro bono and low bono, right. Hmm. You know, that there's somebody that's doing good stuff. We're not maybe doing it for free, but we're giving them a good price because we just are so committed to it that we need to give back. And that's what 
I think makes the world go around and Mm -hmm. there are people that can pay and that will pay and that's great. And that also makes a tremendous difference, obviously. And this, and so, and so this is part of what you do with Rainmaker and this is part of what the the book Choose Abundance is about is how to build these networks. I'm getting it, Stomping Jen, I think. (laughs) I think I'm getting it. This is fantastic. Um, Another piece of this, and we're going to talk more about the book. I have lots of questions about the book, um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, leadership development, which is, mm-hmm. I think, an aspect of all of this, um, helping right. helping organizations develop leaders, helping individuals develop as leaders, maybe through coaching or whatnot. Can you just talk a little bit about leadership development? Yeah, I, I think within any engagement that we have with, so there's kind of multiple ways that we end up doing leadership development. I'll, I'll say that one way is simply by doing executive coaching with someone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody asks us for, for executive coaching, they're looking for opportunities to step up and to achieve higher standards to do better at their job, to come into their own leadership. And, uh, and so there's some very different challenges that people come to us with. Sometimes it's taking on a new role as an executive director, or sometimes it's board leadership. And how does the board move to another level? We recently uh, got a request to help with an organization that the board is has had a lot of transition and they're really ready to step into a new um, they, they really want to improve their their board as they said not move from good to great but from not so good to good you know they yeah. need to really recreate themselves and and so that takes vulnerability a willingness to grow a willingness to um, see your blind spots and and we do that sort of work one-on-one with individuals or with teams like i said like a board of directors we do that sort of work we also do it within other processes like within strategic planning how do we get different people to step up up within the organization and utilize their leadership to deepen connections within the within the community to engage individuals to engage donors to um to network to bring in more members or staff or whatever it is that's that's needed to really enroll more individuals um and same with you know so that could be strategic planning that could be with a capital campaign that could be with culture or philanthropy work so all in all of those cases we do coaching around that sort of work. Yeah. I find leadership development um, particularly fascinating. I went through a local program at Stomping Gen did two out here called um, Leadership Pioneer Valley. That's just one model. But I think my point is yes. before going through that, I, I certainly never saw myself as a leader of anything. Right. And what I think um, a good uh, leadership program and good leadership coaches can do is help, help people um, find that within themselves, Stomping Jen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You kind of had leadership experience before you I went did. through it. I thought you did, but um, so Lori, do you do you ever um, have people who go through um, your leadership coaching and your leadership program, um, and 
realize, hey, I actually might have this capacity within me. I didn't even know it existed. And what's what's that like for you as you know, the coach or the person in yeah. that role trying to draw that yeah. out? I I love that work. I think that a big I don't know if it's a value or a, or just a commitment of mine that started way back when I had my insights with Lynn Twist was that I'm deeply committed to individuals seeing that they can do something that they didn't think they could do mm-hmm. or organizations doing something that they didn't think they could do. And what is fun about that for me is that I don't believe leadership is about a, uh, it's not about the structure or an assignment. It's actually about who you are. And so in my world, leaders, you don't have to have the title of a leader to be a leader. Mm. There are so many opportunities to lead from whatever seat you're in. And for a long time, prior to this team approach that I mentioned to you that I did with the um, culture of philanthropy, a course called the Gift Leadership Institute. Prior to that, I just worked with development professionals and worked with them on how do you lead up and down and sideways and how do you lead in all these different directions. And while many of them had a lot of insights about it, it sure is easier when everyone is saying we're going to empower up, down, sideways, all around us. Uh, and that that for sure builds leadership in a bigger way. But really, I do feel that's a, a privilege to work with people as it happened for me, that people empowered me to see that I could do more than I thought I could. Yeah. And for me, yeah. one, one, of the, one of the revelations was, and it was something I was scared about, um, even though I enjoy being like at the front of the room, but like leadership doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the person going, bah, 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 like I'm pointing my finger at things right. randomly. Yeah, yeah. It can mean leadership can mean supporting other people and, and, and grow like um, growing other people. It doesn't mean right. barking commands. Right? right. And that's why it's not about power. It's more about yes, stomping Jen. Yeah. And that's why I think, um, leadership development and coaching is so important because it, it, it's not just about making sure you have one strong person in your organization. Right. It's about building that capacity to have a lot of people who can help others mm-hmm. do their work to the best of their ability. Yeah. I love it. I think that's great yeah. work you're doing. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. It, I mean, it really is about empowerment. It's not about dominating. Yeah. It's about, giving power away opposed to mm-hmm. power power o- instead of power over it's power empowerment right yeah right. yeah and i don't think that's intuitive like i didn't know that no. and i was surprised to learn that cuz no one had ever like i said no i had never never even thought of myself in a leadership role right you know what i mean right um so lori i want to ask you about your book now we talked we've mentioned sure. it a couple times which is i'm going to read the whole thing it's called choose abundance Powerful Fundraising for Nonprofits, A Culture of Philanthropy. Um, We've talked about what a culture of philanthropy is. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about the book. I'm really curious about the book itself. 
Sure. So I learned from many, many people. So the, the thing that is, um, you uniquely mine is that I pulled together a whole lot of brilliant individuals. (laughs) (laughs) So, so really I learned from a whole bunch of different masters, Lynn twist being one, but what I've done over the years is pulled together resources from a lot of individuals who have ways of helping me and others examine the culture in which they work. And so, for example, Robert Gass, I've already mentioned this model of behaviors, structures, and hearts and minds. And so most trainings in the fundraising world, especially, and I'm sure in many other fields as well, are about behaviors and about structures. So how do we put together a database? That's a structure. How do we form a development committee? That's a structure. How do I ask? That's a behavior, right? That's what everybody wants to know how to do. But if you're doing that on top of a culture of scarcity, you're going to fail. So for example, if everyone thinks fundraising is an evil necessity, right? Mm -hmm. Then you hire a development person. That person's going to be hung out to dry by themselves. So what I do is I, in the book, I walk people through a number of different frameworks or ways of looking at this, but then I give exercises so people can try it on. I then give an all out plan for how do I go about implementing it? And by the way, we have a really cool assessment tool where you can go to our website and have your organization do an assessment of where are we? What do we do? What do we do, you know, around engaging with donors? What, what's our board? What is our board? Excuse me. What do our board members do? How is our executive director involved? Do we have a development director? What does he or she do, et cetera. And then it gives you back a tool where you can look at what next steps would be. Yeah. So we really give you the resources that you need in order to self-assess and begin to take next steps. And then we go through uh, roles. So What's the role of the executive director in building a culture of philanthropy? What about the board? What about the development staff? What about program staff? What about other staff that, you know, might be involved? What about other volunteers? What might they do to build a culture of philanthropy? And then I go to, so how do we do a strategic plan and how, and have that incorporate a culture of philanthropy or help grow our culture of philanthropy? And how could we have it, be part of our uh, capital campaign and other things like that. And then there's a big focus uh, towards the end on what do we do when we're having it? These are, this can open up a can of worms for us. This can open up difficult conversations. How do we navigate those? So that's a little bit of the outline of mm-hmm. the book overall, but it's full of resources and activities and very hands-on things that you can use within your organization. I noticed um, you've mentioned Lynn Twist a couple of times. Lynn wrote the yeah. uh, the foreword. 
She did. She did the foreword and she as she's the author of The Soul of Money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did that um how did that feel having somebody who mentored you write the foreword for your book? <laughs> it felt fantastic. It was a, a big, big win. Yeah. Uh, I love her work and I felt very honored that that she did that. Yeah. Um, who should read the book? Who do we want? Who do we want to have this book? I'll let you think about that for a second. And I want to mention to people uh, really quickly, this is a good place to do this. All of the links to um, Lori's website. So Rainmaker, a link to the Choose Abundance uh, website um, are in our show notes. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you want to go look at all of this stuff, if you want to pause the episode and go off and check out some of this stuff, go do that. Um, You'll find all of the links in the show notes. There's also a link to um, Rainmaker's Facebook page, uh, Lori's um, LinkedIn. There's a YouTube site. Go check it all out. It's 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 really interesting stuff. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, so Lori, back to my question, which was who should read the book? Who should get it and who should read it? It's for anybody that's committed to a cause that is either volunteering their time or working for a not-for-profit organization. It's both for tiny little organizations that are trying to get their legs under them and for larger organizations. It's kind of surprising. There are a lot of large agencies like social service agencies, for example, that have relied on state and federal funding for years, but don't have an alternative funding source that don't have a culture of philanthropy because they're really about fee for service and Mm -hmm. things like that. This is about how to build, how to build something, how to put together a major donor program. If you've never had one before is an integral part of the resources that are in the book. So Mm -hmm. it's really for anybody that wants to enhance the funding resources for their organization. And, you know, I've talked a lot about non-monetary gifts. So there's an adage in the fundraising world, which is if you want, um, if you, if you want money, ask for advice. And if you (laughs) want advice, ask for money. (laughs) And, and truly it's one of the only old school things about the fundraising profession that I really think is accurate. And so what I say is, Build partnerships, build relationships, and people will want to give all sorts of things, including their money. Mm -hmm. But if you're just focused on the money, it doesn't really turn out so good. I mean, that's what I've seen. Not nearly as good. I guess I'll put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. And that's because they get to know you, right? It builds that trust. Yeah. And loyalty. Yeah. 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 That's what I do all the time. Um, Is there... (laughs) I think I know the answer to this, um, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Like, what do you think sets it apart from other fundraising books? Your Choose Abundance book. What What are people going to get here that they're not going to get yeah. from another book? First of all, I want to say there are a lot of great resources out there. There are, and I've relied on a number of them for my own edification and resources that I need to go to, and uh, both. For me as a development professional and as a consultant, I refer people to a lot of different things. What sets this apart is really 
I have to say there isn't anything like this, which is it deals with culture change and the hearts and minds and in the not-for-profit world. There are other books and resources on culture change in the for-profit world, but addressing resource development, there is nothing that I am aware of like this. And it is, it's our blind spot in the field. It really is a missing link for not-for-profit organizations. It, yeah. it's, it's huge. It's really huge. When I first started talking about this and I was talking about culture of philanthropy, culture of philanthropy, culture of philanthropy, there were a number of people who were like, oh, already, stop with that. And almost no matter what, when I talk to a potential client and I mention a culture of philanthropy, they say, I, we want that. We want that thing. And because it resonates and it's, there's something about the culture that we look culture is such that you can't see it when you're in it. It's very hard to identify your own culture. I was in a team meeting with a group of people that I work with. I think I tell this story in the book and, uh, I love this group of people. We work well together. You know, we've been doing this for a long time and there was an, a new person in the group. And afterwards she said, well, you guys are kind of, uh, you know, uh, eye rolly with each other. First of all, <laughs> I never heard that term. And I'm like, eye rolly, we love each other. Are you kidding me? We're not eye rolly. And the next meeting I went to, I, I just, I was shocked and I was shocked because I, I was guilty, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, and it wasn't just me, but a number of us, we could see, you know, so-and-so we start, we go like, Oh, there he goes again. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the culture, right? That's the, and, and this person had the benefit of the doubt. She was new and not everybody, you know, like they she was in her honeymoon stage. So nobody was eye rolling her yet, you know, yeah. we, but we would eye roll each other. And that's a, to me, a perfect example of culture that we don't, I, I give the assignment, go be a scarcity detective, listen to where you hear other people say things about how there isn't enough. You're not enough. I ought to this. I don't have time for this. I blah, 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 blah. Right. You get extra points if you identify your own scarcity. Yeah. And that's hard. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. Really and hard. we all do it. We all do mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so true. It's hard. I'm just thinking about the various cultures I sit in and I don't know if I could describe them without, without like really doing an exercise to like do right. that analysis and step back. Maybe you need the choose abundance book. I think and it's resources and I tools. might need it. <laughs> A stupid question well, that's been yeah. popping in and out of my mind as I'm hearing you talk. I mean, is there anything in here too that like a for-profit company could take out of this? Yes. I, that's, it's funny. I was just jotting myself a note about that. I've had, I, I talked with a group of organ, uh, with an organization, very large organization, relatively speaking, not, not mega, but relatively big for our organization, for our region. And they had about 40 managers. And I started talking to them about, I was going to do a training for all of their managers. And as we were discussing it. And I was talking about this framework. 
there's this term that I use that it's uh, it's called the default future. When you listen to your language, you have a sense of where you're headed. What's the future that you're headed towards? So, for example, if I said I could never run a marathon, what, what's your right. guess of what my future would be? Right, never you're not running that. Mar- you're not running that marathon, right? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, that I, that concept comes from uh, a book called "The Three Laws of Performance," and it's by Steve Saffron and Dave Logan. And so I was describing that to this executive director and one of the team managers and said, this is what I think that would be one useful thing to bring to your, to your leadership team. And the, not the executive director, the other woman said, wow, I just saw my whole life flash before me. I see that as you're telling that story, that I could, that if I continue on the trajectory I'm on, I'm going to have no time. Neither my husband nor I are going to have any time for our kids. I'm going to continue to gain weight, not take care of my body. And I'm never going to see my grandkids. That sounds horrible. And it was so, it sounds horrible, but part of it is that if you don't get to a point where you imagine the trajectory you're on, right. you're never going to change your behavior. You're yeah. never going to change your, what mm. you're doing. So a big piece of it is, revealing and, and maybe making up that worst case scenario. It's, it's made up, right? It's not really necessarily true, but just like, it's pretty likely I'm not going to run a marathon. If I say I'll never blah, blah, blah. Right. right? Um, It's similar that if you say like, I have no time for this, I don't have the ability to do that. I'm never going to be very good at working out. I'm sorry, son, I don't have any time to hang out with you, et cetera. Then that's where you're going. So I believe that this work is transformative from a human family personal level. It's relevant to businesses. And as a matter of fact, the three laws of performance is very much about businesses. But as people read the three laws of performance, there's a whole element of it is what does this mean to me personally? Right. So those insights, those breakthroughs are super powerful for any organization that's thinking about doing it. And after talking to someone about it recently, a woman said to me, okay, I already have your second and third book. Number two should be corporate. Number three should be person. Or, or no, she said maybe, maybe the other way around, but those other two books were necessary. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. When did you know you wanted to write this? When did you, when did you get hit by that bolt of lightning that said, I have to write a book? Well, uh, Two people, multiple people, but two people were kind of key in that process. One was our web developer. I wanted to do a blog, but I was very uh, reluctant. I didn't know if I could commit to it. And he suggested making a very simple chart. This was great advice where I write down five broad ideas around this culture of philanthropy idea, you know, work that I wanted to do and then see how many subtopics I could come up with. And if I could come up with 25, he said, you have a blog. And so <laughs> I did that and I had a hundred, I had a hundred. And then it turned into a book. Oh, wow. Well, so that was one. But yeah. The second part was I met with a woman, the um, executive director of the Women's Fund of Western Mass, Donna, and she and I were talking and we were just introduced to each other. We didn't know each other. 
And she said to me, tell me about what you're up to. And I told her all of this stuff. And I really, I was, I maybe had 45 minutes chatting with her and she looked at me and she said, you need to write a book. Huh? Like that was it. I went home and I talked to a colleague of mine, actually at the Grinspoon Foundation, Mark Gold. And I said, Mark, I was told I should write a book. And he said, go start it. See what happens. How did you do that? How did so, you start it? I started with an outline and my entire porch was covered with, um, uh, you know, big sticky pieces notes. of white paper. Yeah. Yeah. Giant sticky notes and then little sticky notes all over it. And, uh, I, it took a while of going in circles there before somebody gave me a connection to, uh, an editor who I, who taught me all the distinctions in editing, including compositional editing, which is finding somebody who can help you put it in the right order. Oh yeah. And in a lot of this is the or it's interesting. It was the order that I taught a course. So I sort of started, it, it was like that. And then it made sense to make some changes to that order. And now I'm teaching with it. And so there was a few months of me just putting my hands on my head overwhelmed because I couldn't, now that I had a book, I had to change my curriculum to match the book, but right. it all worked out. Yeah. Do you, um, yeah. obviously did, do you think it changed for the better? So the process of writing the book helped informed the teaching in a positive way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As a matter of fact, this week, uh, and if this was if this was a uh, video, I would show you the picture and have you see it. But uh, just earlier this week, for the first time of the course that I teach, I'm in my in my fourth cohort of it. I had a team of people from an organization in New Jersey, so there are four or five of them, and there is their assignment. So I meet with them monthly now which is what we do with our consulting as well. You know, read this part and we'll meet. And then this, you know, we'll meet again. And I sat with them and they pulled out their books and they had all these post-its through it, which I, I thought, oh, they're really reading. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it was very exciting to have them. If I say something in a course, and then, you know, it's a story, it comes, it goes, they can go back to it now and they can read it again and, and get an exercise to do to start to understand it more and so on. So it's, uh, it's been a really good resource and, but I'm just getting to, the book hasn't been out that long. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just starting to get a flavor of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, the cover of your book, I really love, um, it depicts Thank you. a goldfish in kind of midair jumping from a small clear glass bowl into a larger clear glass bowl. And it's a very like actiony shot. Can you tell us what that image means to you and how you picked it? Yeah. Well, for one, I had a great, uh, cover design person. Um, but, but well, it's interesting if it was if it was truer to the story in the book about fish bowls. Part of it is you don't know when you're in a dirty fish bowl, right? Oh, but yeah. we couldn't ruin the page by having that fish bowl <laughs> be green. Like it just was. Right. <laughs> just, but it really is about uh, the challenge of 
going to what's next, right? And the vulnerability of it, right? That fish is kind of midair. And it's also about growing into something uh, I, I want to say more mature or or more transformed or more evolved mm-hmm. uh, than than before. And it's hard. And this, by the way, this culture of philanthropy stuff, it's hard and it's not fast. And that's a, a key uh, message that we start with in the beginning of the book. Like this is not for people wanting quick fixes. Mm. You might get some really great quick takeaways that you'll use and that's good. But to actually make culture change takes years and a lot of effort and a lot of individuals being very committed to it. Yeah. And you're careful to, um, I was reading through a lot of your other website, um, through the Rainmaker website and the materials. And I think you do a really good job in there kind of, of explaining to people up front that culture change takes time. Right. And that if you're looking, if you're looking for somebody to come in and, you know, change things for you next week, um, it, it, you know, it, it, you're going to need a different right. process, probably. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not what you do, and it, it's a longer it's a longer game to make real lasting change. We were recently invited uh, to to do a proposal for an organization that wanted a very short term development plan. Like, give us the development plan, you know, fast. And my first reaction was. You know, this isn't the type of thing for us. And then they wrote back and said, we noticed you haven't put in a proposal. Would you consider putting in a proposal? So I reached out to them and I said, with all due respect to your request, I I think there's something different that could be so much more impactful. And instead of what you have there, I'd like to make a proposal for something different, which is a year-long engagement to build something over time that's sustained and that has multiple players all committed to it that is going to outlast, you know, a simple piece of paper, you know, a, a document or a um, or a chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or and, even, or even the people yeah. in the organization at that time, right? Like you want, right. you want something that's going to go beyond whoever is there at that time. Yes. And exciting. I'm thrilled to say that they were very excited about it and we've begun our work together. So it was, uh, you know, instead of a three month project, it's a 12 month project. And mm-hmm. instead of one or two people being involved, we have a group of 10 people being involved on their end, which is what we want. That's really exciting. Yeah. And I think to me, it shows the power of having values kind of and living by them in a way, because that must not have been easy, right? As a business owner to say, no, this probably isn't the best fit for us right. or me, right? As a consultant. And then, yes. you know, that, that's got to be hard because you could take the quick money. It is. It's true. <laughs> but I have to say, I'm no, it's true. But I'm lucky that yeah. all, there are there are five of us that are rainmakers, four of whom are consulting. And we are all committed to that. We really are. Yeah. And when we get those, um, I, I mean, and it's interesting. It, it seems like the right ones circle back to us, meaning there have been other things that we haven't applied to that we don't hear from again, and they're not, they don't miss us and we don't miss them, you know, like yeah. it wasn't a match. Right. But it seems that 
there have been a handful of times where people have come back to us and said, huh, we didn't hear from you. Why? And we get to explain. And this was one of those. And it was, um, it, it's great. I'm, I'm very excited to be working with this agency. So what, yeah. did, um, what did you learn in the process of writing the book? I, I heard, I heard your example about the class, but I'm wondering, did you learn anything about yourself? Like as a person, did you learn something else in, through this process of putting together sure. the book? Well, there were, um, being super authentic with you, there was getting used to my voice being uh, legitimizing my voice and this message. It validated a lot about this work that I'd been committed to my life, my whole, you know, or a good part of my life. Um, it, putting into print and writing the book that I was, um, that was sort of in me, if you will, uh, it, it proved something to me about that. I have something important to say, but, um, but that took a lot and getting my, my voice, getting my, uh, getting more clear about what it is and being able to speak about it is a, it's a learning curve for me and it's exciting and hard and uh, requires me leaning into it a lot. All of that. Was, so those are things that I've personally learned. Yeah. Was the voice that you discovered the voice that you had been hearing all along kind of, or did it turn out to be something different when you actually drew it out and kind of saw it there on the page and, and began to live with the externalization of your own voice? Like, did you learn anything from like seeing your voice there? Well, on a very practical level, one thing was that editing is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> when, when somebody can, uh, you know, we're talking very casual here and, and, when I, yeah, I, I learned that I have some very, whatever, casual, I, I, I speak casually. That's mm -hmm. what I do. Yeah. And my voice is very much in the book, but it, uh, but having someone help me to not have so many contractions, not start every sentence with, so, you know, do some of those <laughs> things that we do as humans was, was really useful. And it, and so that's on one level, but on another, I did fine tune what it was that I was trying to say. And it, a colleague of mine recently said, I, you know, I've been working with you, Lori, for years. I, this is not one of the rainmakers, but somebody I work with in uh, the Grinspoon foundation. And he said to me, I, I've heard all these stories, but how they line up and how they come together is is pretty exciting to see the progression and how someone goes from point A to B to C to D to get to build what it is that they want. So those were all kind of surprising to me. Yeah. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it yeah. wasn't like a total change in any big way, but it was a more of a, a growth and evolution. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, there are times when I go back to things I've written, or I'll go back and listen to episodes of this podcast, and I'm like, who is that person? Like, how did that come (laughs) out of me? Like, I sometimes get this, like, this sense of, like, I I don't, like, I don't know how that happened. (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, being confronted with literally my own voice sometimes, like, when I'm listening to something. Or in my own writing, like I'm sometimes baffled at how that came out of me and is there in its yeah. external form. That's some, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, no, I get that. I get that because it, it feels like, well, thankfully, most times, not all the time, but most times when I'm baffled that way, I'm like, huh. Yeah, I'm usually impressed. Like, right? Like, huh? Yeah. It's not like I, you know, I got this going on because I don't always, I mean, talk about scarcity, right? I think as humans, we're taught to carry some narrative about whatever. Yeah. And so for me, when I hear it, it is what I'm committed to. And part of it is when I say, if there's something that changed out of me doing this, it's that I, I got my voice. Like I am actually really clear that, that this resource and this information is transformative. And I I can't tell you the number of people that have come back to me and said, I I just had somebody, I, I had a few people call me literally in the last two to three weeks saying, this is right out of the book. And I can't believe it. How, I built this partnership with somebody and stopped worrying about the money. And then they came back and gave us the largest gift our agency has ever had. Like wow. multiple people have said that to me within just the last week. I'm, I constantly hear people talking about it and it's, that is it's, am- that it's is really am- exciting. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, um, the choose abundance Academy. Is that part of? Is that what I'm? I'm hearing are the workshops and the classes and the cohorts. Yeah. Yes. So we're doing two different courses. Um, well, one is a consulting framework, and the other is a course. The consulting framework is one-on-one. We'll work with any organization and spend a year building a culture of philanthropy within the organization, conducting trainings, coaching. You know every just working it out over the course of a year to build that one-on-one with an organization. But the other thing that we have within the Academy is this, uh, again, a multi-month program, but with multiple organizations in it. So not only do you learn from our coaching and support, but you learn from your peers. So there are multiple development directors. There are multiple Uh, executive directors, there are multiple board members, all learning from each other and then going back to their organizations and building the culture of philanthropy within their own organization. It's modeled after the work that we've done that I did at the, the Harold Grinspoon Foundation with, I say I did it, but it was my course, but that there's a whole team of people that helped to make that happen there. And so we're doing a similar course um, with Rainmaker and we're really excited about it because it's the peer learning is extraordinary to hear from each other and to talk to other development people. If you're a development person or to hear from different board members 
it's it's very effective. Yeah. Is, is that something you have found needs to be cultivated, kind of in the nonprofit fundraising world? Like, are people um, some somehow like adverse to getting together um, without a framework like the Choose Abundance Academy and talking and sharing? And because it sounds like such a good idea. Uh, you know, I think there are various network things that exist. So, yeah. for example, there's the Association of Fundraising Professionals. So fundraising professionals meet each other and connect with each other. But it's a different thing, I think, to intentionally build a, an agency wide team yeah. that will then, you know, uh, create concentric circles, outgoing concentric circles to build within their organization, right? But then have peers in another organization that are trying to do the same thing and be able to cross pollinate and learn different ideas from each other. The peer learning is one of the most powerful aspects of that program. And, uh, and having this, and it's interesting, many of the organizations that I've taught through this, one of the things they say is that they're, you know, we've never had a chance to all sit down together around development. We've never done that. And yeah. so just the time that we, you know, work together with, have them work together is unprecedented and as a matter of fact, I just did a virtual two-day, I like to call it an advance instead of a retreat, because who wants to retreat, right? We oh, I love advance. that. I when I hear retreat, I wanna I wanna retreat. I wanna head for the woods. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> and so we just had a two-day retreat and it was virtual. So it was <clears throat> a total of four two-hour segments. And we were really looking at, so how do we do this? What, how much time do they have with their core group, et cetera? And especially in the launch, we have a lot of group time, you know, breakout groups with per, per organization. And many of them say, we've never had board development, executive leaders, and, and most of these groups have five, six, seven people on their team spending you know, this time together, building something together intentionally, which where everyone has to do something. Yeah, You can figure out what to do, but you've got to do it and go out and make this happen out in the world. I love that. And it sounds like you're intentionally like breaking down silos between those levels, right? Yes. Like, and that's yes. so important. Um, and silos, by the way, are right there with scarcity thinking yeah. silos make scarcity mm, happen. It's true. So yeah. yeah, I say that all the time. Yes, you do. I'll attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> Every Are you a barn busting? Silo no. Yeah. Breaker? No, I, it frustrates me because you know, the organizations that I work with, like it's so much more effective when you get people collaborating as opposed to operating in their silos, which is what I say all the time. And right. because, you know, then you don't know what each other is working on when you could be working collaboratively and some of that might, you know, feed into each other and people don't even realize that. But if you're looking at it from the, you know, the the cloud in the sky, the thousand foot view, you can see that everybody is working and how it will interf interfit with each other. Yeah. Right. Demonstrating that you can see the culture better from the outside than right. from within. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, L'Oreal, I want to ask you about this. You also do um, speaking engagements. Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm doing one right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what it's like. No. So I do all different types of speaking and great engagements. I like it best when it's interactive, like this is, where it's not just me talking. But even better, no offense, but is when people have a chance to hear something and then maybe talk in a small group and, and yeah. so on. So I do keynotes. I do workshops. I, I, I'm really committed to spreading the word of culture change and a culture of philanthropy. So I'm particularly interested in, uh, you know, if I could wave my magic wand, associations that have lots of organizations, just the more that people hear about it, the better. Uh, I, I love to, uh, really make it fun and engaging and, and authentic and just talk about what it really means to take on this culture change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what keeps you doing this work? What keeps you going? Oh, well, first of all, I have an amazing group of people that I work with that are very, uh, motivational and, and supportive and, really are out there doing this work with me. Uh, and I just feel like it's the missing piece for a lot of organizations and that it could make a difference. And I know that we've been through some hard times through the pandemic and we have a lot of issues going on, whether they're social justice issues or whether they're climate change, which is also social justice, yeah. you know, and there are just a lot of big things that are going on. And, you know, here's the thing when you, and it's going to sound a little hokey, but when you choose abundance, right, it means you're choosing possibility and it's really easy to get into despair and frustration in the world. And, I know that what we need is more people that are creating possibility. Mm. I like, I like the term that I've heard from someone. I don't know who said it of being a possibilitarian. I I love it, (laughs) but we need people that are, that are committed to, you know, what's possible. And when I hear, Oh, I, you know, there's a naysayer. Well, look, I don't know that we need a, you know, devil's advocate or a naysayer. I think we, it's fine to look at what the, and be real about what the problems are and what the challenges are. I'm not wanting to candy coat them or anything like that, but we really need to look at what's possible and build what is possible. And that's only going to happen when we step outside of ourselves a little bit and we start to be intentional the choosing part in the choose abundance is about being intentional about it. And there are people that I have worked with that have choose abundance. As a matter of fact, I have a rock that says choose abundance on it. And I have that because it is a, you know, it's a choice. Mm -hmm. I have, I have a, I, I have a choice. I could go 
crawl into bed and put a pillow over my head and say, this really stinks. And I don't, you know, whatever. Or I could say, I'm, I'm going to be committed. I am committed. Not I'm going to be, I am committed to stepping up and choosing and coming from a place of abundance and finding the resources to, to, to when people say, I don't know anybody with money, bullshit. Right. We all know people with money. We all know people with a ton of resources. And if we're only looking for, you know, a big wallet, yeah, we're looking at the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. I have to ask this. I love that you have choose abundance written on a rock. Um, have you thrown it at anyone <laughs> or thrown <No>. it? <laughs> I have a, here, here's a confession of why it's written on a rock. Okay. I was teaching a course, this course that I've described to you before that I taught, and we wanted to give a, a gift. Yeah. I had not come up with a title for my book. And so we came up with a whole bunch of ideas. And I, there's this one woman I work with, her name is Tara, and she's always got the great ideas of various things. And, and she said, you know, I said, which of these do you like? Actually, that's not true. I asked another colleague, and we came up with Choose Abundance for a rock. And then about a week later, I went to Tara and I, or it was after that, I think I already had these. And I said, I've got, I, I don't know what to come up with for the title or whatever. You know, I'm thinking about all these different things. And she said, what are your choices? And I named a whole bunch of things. And she said, what did you write on those rocks? And I said, choose abundance. And she goes, duh. There it, there it is. <laughs> so it's kind of embarrassing because the, the name of the course is on the back of the rock. Um, and it was in 2020 and the, and choose abundance is on the, on the front. So a bunch of people have the rock before the name of the book came I, around. I and uh, now I'm embarrassed to make more rocks that way because, you know, but they're kind of, <laughs> it's kind of <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> All right. Um, as we, as we wind our way to our last two questions, um, is there anything else you wanted to okay. tell us about? What, Gosh, I don't think so. No, to? I mean, I really enjoyed talking to both of you and it's been a lot of fun to, uh, to explore this. And I thank you for your, for your, knowledge and and study of this and learning about it and your very authentic questions. So thanks. Oh, th thank you. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Um, what do you like to do when you're not um, choosing abundance or fundraising? Like how do you, how do you connect <laughs> back to, yeah, or helping organizations? How do you, um, yeah. how do you connect back to Lori? What do you, what do you do? So I do a couple of things. I, I actually do a ton of things. That's my, my major problem in my life is that I love to do everything. So I run, I, uh, I race, I run, uh, up mountains and on trails. That's my thing. I actually ran a race last week. That was a, uh, on the, on the ice going up Mount Tom. Oh my we God. Not, not enough, <laughs> but it, those clamp on things on your shoes, boy, they, they make it. So I love to run and, uh, I get out, uh, pretty frequently. I also low glass, although I haven't been able to do it in a oh. little while because of the pandemic, but mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite things. Um, and, and because of your, um, of your program, I, I now like to float. <laughs> oh, <laughs> float. I, I mean, we, we love to promote the float and I hope Stephen Bryla, who owns, um, go with go the, the float, float in East Hampton, Hampton listens to this. Um, I, 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 I went last week because of, of this, uh, this program and it, awesome. it was, 
It was great. Yeah. Have nice. you? Yeah. I, I, I'm. I've been itching to get back there and do more floating stomping, Jen. Yeah, you should do it. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to choose floating. That's all. Um. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for sharing that with us. Okay. Our our last our last question, mm-hmm. and we love to ask this of everybody because we get such a wide range of answers and responses. So I'll just throw it out there and let you react to it however you want. Um. What have you experienced uh, that you cannot explain? I'll let you sit with that for a minute. Oh my gosh. What have I experienced? It doesn't have to be supernatural. It doesn't have to be anything like that. Or, you know, I always prefer supernatural answers, but. You're leading the witness. Well, let me just tell you this. Yes. So again, I listened to your go with the flow. Yes. And I, and so I heard you talk about supernatural things. So. I, while floating, so first of all, just as an aside, I got in there and for some reason I was obsessed with, I had to be square within the floating (laughs) thing. Yeah. (laughs) And so I did that for three or four minutes and then I realized, like, who said? Right. Right? And then I started, after a little while, started feeling stiff and I realized I felt like I was supposed to hold perfectly still. Mm. And then I thought... Who said? Right. Right? Like you can move around, right? So those were two insights. But one of the things that happened was, um, I'm hoping that you know how to pronounce the name of the, there's this poem, Desiderata, does it go placidly among the noise and haste? Do you know this poem? I'm the wrong person to ask. Well, so this poem was written in the 1920s and it, there were in the seventies for whatever reason, it became very popular and a song was written, which is a horrible song, but all of a sudden out of the blue, what came to me while in the midst of a float, it was this line, you are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is evolving, I think is the word, as it should. Hmm. Huh. Wow. I know. And I was like, whoa, exactly. That's whoa. Yeah. I, I would have made that noise. Could we do that again? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm so crazy. I am taking that as a message from the universe, Stomping Jen. Yeah. Yeah. Something happens when you get in these float tanks. It's true. Something happens. Something does. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly you float. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah. Lori Herrick of Rainmaker Consulting, author of Choose Abundance, Thank you for talking with us. Um, I can't say it enough. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot, Stomping Jen. Oh, you did? Yep. Um, despite my um, extensive research, I still didn't know a lot about this That's world. Right. And I learned a lot. So yes. I love it. I love it when I can sit down and learn something new. Cool. So, uh, Lori, thank you for, for helping me do that and for this conversation. Um, really appreciate it. Thank um, you. Thank you. Listeners, now listen up. I got to tell you some things. Um you want to go to the show notes, okay? Mm-hmm. You want to check out um, Lori's websites and different web presences, okay? You can go to the Rainmaker site. There's a link to the Choose Abundance book in there. I want you to go and buy a copy, right? Mm-hmm. Read this. Mm-hmm. There are lessons to be learned, even if you're a non, not a nonprofit. A non-profit yeah. 
if you are a nonprofit, pause this right now and go purchase this book, okay? All right. So you know what you got to do. That's right. Okay. Um, also, listeners, um, what do we want to tell them? Uh, we have a website, too. Yeah, we have a website, too. Go check it out. <laughs> softservepodcast.com. Okay? There's stuff on there. Check it out. Yeah, check it out. Um, if you're just hearing this for the first time, subscribe. Okay? Download our episodes. Tell a friend about it. If you want to appear as a guest, yes. we have a form on our website. You can sign up. We might We might take you on. Yeah. Although I'm going to warn you, um, you're listening to this in March. We are booked out until May now. So you better get in line. Yeah. We're the hottest show in Western Massachusetts. Yes. Lori wrote us a note here in the chat. Um, Yes, please. Yeah. If people would like to uh, get a discount on a book when you order one, write write insider as your code. I-N-S-I-D-E-R, Insider. So, And you can put that in the notes. I can put that in the show notes? Well. Okay, yep. Cool. Yeah. I'll yeah. do that. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, that's it, right, Stop that's and it. Jen? That's it. We've All right. reached the end. We've reached the end. We've reached the end. Sadly, um, we reached the end. Um, I always hate saying goodbye. I'm terrible at goodbyes. I'll but keep, we must. I'll keep talking, Stomping Jen. Yes, so get, push me to you. the end. Where's the grappling hook? Oh. Oh, ouch. You got me with the hook. Ouch. Okay, folks. Um, so, um, Lori, if you want to give a goodbye in your own particular style and fashion, that's fine. Just thank you again. And uh, to anybody listening, thanks for listening. And uh, I'd be happy to connect if you want to learn more about what we're up to. So check it out on our website and you can reach out to me if you're interested in learning more. All right. Thanks. Stomping Jen, give your goodbye. Bye now. And you know what I'm going to say. Um, bye now. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 